0: And this is Rebecca Milliken and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast.
1: You would do if you had nothing better to do. Right.
0: And today, tonight, actually I know it's been a while. We've had a lot going on. As usual. Yeah, lots of things. Well, I'm a mom, it's really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Well I've had some I don't want to go into all the things I've had going on, but And also we're winding down towards the end of the year. So we kinda wind down with things.
1: Not really do we? I mean...
0: Yeah, like last year we kind of wound down a little. Did we? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Remember we did that Christmas episode uh, for both podcasts. Yes, I remember, but... Oh, I feel the energy is very low. I know. It's my fault. We probably have updates. We're not doing them tonight. No. Boy, we're... I'd be surprised if people just keep (laughs) listening.
1: (laughs) Well, this is my six-day work week, and this was my day off, and I'm tired.
0: Yeah, I'm tired. I had a whirlwind book tour of Massachusetts, if you want to call it that, and got back and had, had a lot going on. Is there anything else we need to do? Or sh- no. So should I just start? Just start. Okay. You know, Becky, <laughs> writers are often asked, where do you get your ideas? Yes, they are. Constantly. Now, I always wonder why people ask that. Because they have nothing better to ask. I don't really know. But it's not an easy Personally, question. I Personally, it's a stupid question. Thank you for insulting everybody who's ever asked me. Hey,
1: maybe they'll think twice next time. Okay. In any case, <laughs>
0: sorry. well, we, we're, we're off to a great start. In any case, it's not an easy question to answer. <laughs> because it's so stupid. <laughs> sorry. Okay, I'm sorry, everybody. Because oh. there are a million different ways and places we get ideas, too. Aside from your response <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do it. I mean, really, we're not stoned, people. I wish I was. To talk, I feel very sluggish. I do, too. But I think if I were stoned, it would be... You
0: I know, marijuana is legal in Maine. In Maine, yeah. Anyways, go on. It wouldn't help me. It would just make things worse. Also, since I work for newspapers for so long, I also get asked if I use things from my experience at newspapers. And I definitely do. Why are you rolling your because eyes? Because
1: obviously. This is my I know, I'm sorry. introduction. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Are you, oh my God. I'm sorry.
0: And I use both things in the newsroom and stuff that happens when you're. Uh, you mean like people you've worked with? Ripped from the headlines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like people I've worked with. Who's facing this person? That's what they always ask. On People I worked with. They always say, who's so and so? Who's Pete supposed to be? He is definitely a figment of my imagination. of your fantasies. (laughs) The plot point for my first book, for instance, turned on a major shooting that happened in New Hampshire in 2007. Mm -hmm. And if you'd like to know more about it, you can listen to episode... 20. Thank you. Liko, Timmy, Bruce, McKay.
1: Episode 20.
0: Right. Every writer works differently and feels differently about writing, and I'm a writer who enjoys the process. The means are as important as the end, I think. I would hope that would be the way for most writers. I mean, the end. Sure, you get a finished book, but Uh, I don't think for some of this. And they're intertwined. The means and the end. And I also like to set challenges for myself in my writing. And I don't do that to just screw around with myself. I do it because I just feel like it's part of the writing process. You know, you don't want to push yourself. The artistic process. Right, and when it was time to write my third book, the one that just came out, I had one that was forming in my head. The news travels fast. Right. I had one that was forming in my head. I was going to actually say it. Oh, sorry. But you can say it too. But there were some other things that wouldn't get out of my head that didn't fit with the book I had forming. At the time, I worked for two newspapers in central Maine. The capital city of Augusta and another city about 20 miles north, Waterville. They're both cities of about 18,000 people. I think Waterville's like 16,000. Augusta's like 18,000. Not big um, for the rest of the world, but mid-sized cities for Maine. And one thing about newspapers in areas like this is they rely on a lot of news that may not be news in a more populated, less rural or less remote area. Or things that just want to happen in those areas. And a few things happened in the space of a few years, and all of them were kind of intriguing that I wanted to put into a book. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder if I take these three things and try to get them all into the book, if I can do a book with all these three elements in them. It turned out I could. Yeah. I did. I did. I, and that's bad news travels fast. As you said, the third of my series, which came out in October. Two of the things were so out of the ordinary that they made national news. And they were unique in a lot of ways, even to this area. One was the disappearance of Appalachian Trail through hiker Geraldine Largay, who disappeared on the trail In July of 2013, it turns out she got lost and made some bad choices, and they found her remains in October of 2015. And there was no foul play involved. And there was also the case of Christopher Knight, who walked away from his home in Albion, Maine, in the 80s, and into the woods a dozen or so miles north of where I live. He lived there for 27 years and was dubbed by our newspaper, the North Pond Hermit. He was arrested in April of 2013 after pretty much actually terrorizing the area. A no. lot of people felt terrorized by him. I talked to somebody who was a constant victim of him. and I'm
1: sure it was, you didn't never find it cute or but, funny. but at the same time, it did intrigue people, the story. Like, I remember when it happened in the break room at work. Of course, this type of thing people talk about, and the I think a lot of people make it into some kind of a, a fantasy. It's not real. And a lot of people think, well, that would be, you know. Yeah, I'd like to live in yeah. the world. But. but to the people, he he did, he victimized people. He stole their shit. Right,
0: But and also he was made kind of a caricature. Yeah. He obviously had mental health oh, issues. Yeah. And that, it's a long story. I'm not doing that story today. No. Um, I'm not doing Geraldine Largay today. And there was a about his story. There is a book. Someday maybe I'll do it as my NNW, but I had a lot of issues with it. Mm, Me too. But today's story is about the third thing. There's part of my book, and I'm not really gonna talk as much as I have already been about the book that much, because first of all, I don't want to spoil what happens. Second of all, you know, none of the topics that made it into my book are depictions of what really happened. Just like the one in my first book and everything. I write fiction, and the book isn't about the things. Because lots of people say, oh, I heard your book was about blah, blah, blah. It's not about, it's not even thinly disguised fiction. It's inspired by them. You take a situation and say, what if I did this with it? So the murder of Stephanie Gingibo by Robert Burton in 2015, it's in some ways normal for Maine because it was a domestic violence murder and about half of our 16 to 20 murders a year are. But then he took off into the woods and he remained there for 68 days before turning himself in. It was the most extensive manhunt in the state's history. I know they're always saying things are the, the biggest. I was going to say, yeah, he was a pussy compared to Chris right, Knight. Right, right. Yeah, he couldn't Not do Peter it like Brady. Chris Knight. I know, the North Pond Hermit. And North Pond
1: Hermit, he was Peter Brady. Did yeah. you know that? Yeah, at the same time. <laughs> he yeah. played
0: Peter Brady. I know, it's yeah, <laughs> and I wonder why none of the tabloids ever picked up on that. <laughs> So today I'm talking about the real life stuff. I don't want to spoil, if somebody does read the book, I don't want to say how I use it in the book. But it's it's the part where he's You'll in the know woods it when you see it. use it. Yeah. I got my information from local news reports, mostly the morning Sentinel in Waterville, Maine. And when this story started in June of 2015, I was the news editor for the Sentinel and its sister pe- paper, the Kennebec Journal in Augusta. And by the time he was in the woods, I was also city editor of the Sentinels. So I remember it well, and I also use the Bangor Daily News and a little bit from TV. But Stephanie Gingibo was a 37-year-old single mother of a 13-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy in June 2015. She worked at a doctor's office, Cook Family Doctors, practice either in Dover, Foxcroft, or Dexter, nobody says which place. They were both equidistant about from her, a half hour, 20 minutes from her house in Parkman, Maine. I knew someone from Parkland. Well, that's funny because it's a, a town of less than 1,000 people. It's in Piscataquis County, one of Maine's poorest counties. It's like a north-central Maine, rural. Most of the towns are less than yes. 1,000 people in Piscataquis County. Stephanie had met Robert Burton online, at least that's what he said. I'm not totally sure if that's true, and they dated for about two and a half years. Burton had lived with Stephanie and her two children, in their house on Coolis Road in Parkman for about a year and a half, but they broke up on May 31st, 2015. Robert was a rough customer, but Stephanie's family said at first she thought she could change him or that he would change. I'm not sure, you know, how people depict things. I'm not sure what she really thought, but she liked him, and I think some people just are a little naive about the realities of people sometimes. Once an
1: asshole, always an asshole. Yep. That's sorry if anyone thinks
0: I'm... Well... No, I'm not sorry, actually. Right. He had a long criminal record, both under his real name and as Robert G. Elliott, including nine burglary convictions, which come into play in the story. Mm -hmm. He also served a total of ten years in prison on domestic abuse charges. Mm -hmm. The first stint was on a conviction for three domestic violence charges in the year 2000. On July 25, 2000, when Burton was 23... He got into an argument with an ex-girlfriend. I think she'd just broken up with him. It's hard to tell uh, sometimes by when you read the different descriptions. He threatened suicide, as they are wont to do, and then he threatened to kill her. And that's from Piscataquis County DA Christopher Elmy, who talked to the Bangor Daily News about him after the Stephanie Gingibo murder. He described Burton's actions as, quote, classic control method. I think you see that a lot with coercive control, that they threaten suicide. Yes. It's a way to manipulate someone's feelings. He was arrested for terrorizing the woman. Three days later, while out on bail, he lay in wait for her, Mm. jumped out of the woods and into her car. He taped her mouth, and he threatened suicide, and she got away. It's like, just do it if you're really going to do it, asshole. And she got away. He was threatening her physically, and he was treated afterwards at the hospital for overdosing on Tylenol and was charged with felony kidnapping as well as assault and violating bail conditions. While in jail awaiting his trial, he was convicted of violating his bail conditions twice, of tampering with a witness, and also felony trafficking in prison contraband. Hmm. He called the victim at the jail and urged her to change his story, Almy said. I think he means he called the victim from the jail. Yeah. All that was recorded. Later, he sent her a 30-page... What a fucking idiot. I know. Later, he sent her a 30-page letter. He's a letter sender, as we find out. Well, you know, that's a lost art. Yeah. He really should be commended for that. Right. Burton was convicted on seven of the eight charges, with the kidnapping dismissed on March 1st, 2001. He ended up serving five days for terrorizing, six months each for the assault and the first bail violation, and three consecutive 13-month sentences in prison for tampering with the witness and the two bail violations for contacting the victim. I'm not sure with those sentences being consecutive how he was out by June 2002, even with time served added in, since Maine doesn't have parole, but he was. Mm. So when he got out in June 2002... He went looking for the woman. He broke into a camp on Whetstone Pond in the area where the family was known to stay, grabbed a rifle with a mounted sight, and hid in a bathroom and waited. Oh, Jesus. He threatened and assaulted the victim's mother he was trying to find, the daughter, Almy said. The mother thought Burton was going to kill her. It says the victim's mother states in a summary form that Almy gave the Bangor Daily News, quote, She said that he squeezed her throat for all he was worth and held the gun to her head. And the story makes it sound like he did that to the daughter, but I think he did it to the mother yes. trying to find out where the daughter that's was. Just, that's it's just I not well it. written. Yeah. The woman convinced Burton to let her go. He fled with the weapon, ammunition, a knife, and other items from the camp. Staying in camps he broke into, Burton managed to elude police for nearly two weeks until his capture in an abandoned camp in Willimantic, Maine. What time of year was this again? This was June. Oh, yeah. Wow. And Almy said, "Well, you know, a lot of people don't get here till July or aren't in their camps during the week and stuff." And this says it was an abandoned yes. one. A lot of times, people I notice in news stories, it's one of those things that bugs me. Use the word "abandoned" to me. Abandoned means there's no owner. You don't. Know, yeah. When that what I mean is vacant. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. But Almy says he was hiding upstairs. The police went in and he was threatening suicide, so they left and called in the negotiation team. There was a four-hour standoff before Burton gave himself up to police. He was charged with four counts of burglary, criminal threatening, four counts of theft, possession of a firearm by a prohibited person, and assault. He pleaded guilty in Piscataquis County Superior Court and was sentenced in September 2003 to 10 years in prison. He served time in Maine State Prison in Warren and later in the Central Maine Pre-Release Center in Hallowell. Mm, Right up up the hill from where I used to live. Right, it's not there anymore. Before his release on June 3, 2011. Burton, who was listed in the Department of Corrections computer system as Robert Elliott, according to the Bangor Daily News, was also sentenced to probation for four years, which he started the day after his release. His probation ended on June 4, 2015. Ah, oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Gin Gibo, who had a close relationship with her family, hadn't been that in touch lately, her father and stepmother later said. But on the evening of June 4, 2015, the same day Robert Burton's probation ended, not to put too fine a point on it, <laughs> she called her stepmother, Angel Ginn, and told her she'd broken up with Burton a few days before. She said he'd moved out of the house and in with his father, a nearby abbot, and she said she'd give her the details later. Do you think he learned his lesson from the last time Stephanie's stepmother? Well, they
1: usually do learn their lesson, don't they? Domestic abuse? They always do, yes.
0: <laughs> but anyway. They always change. That question was from Stephanie's stepmother to Stephanie. Stephanie said, oh no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. If Stephanie had been naive about Burton before, she wasn't now. She was scared of Burton after he moved out and she told people she was. She'd changed locks on the doors of her house, and she slept with a gun in her bed. Mm. She told one of her friends the gun's on his side of the bed, or the gun's sleeping in his side of the bed, or something like that. She had made it clear to her, her co she was afraid of him enough that some offered to let her and her kids stay at their house. But she said no, it was okay. She had a gun, and if he came for her, she'd get him first. She was familiar with guns. She was an outdoors woman, and she knew how to use one. But she also told them that if she disappeared, it was Burton's doing. Despite the fact that Burton, as a convicted felon, wasn't allowed to own guns, Stephanie's children later told police that he had a lot of them. I'm sure. Or at least he told the kids he did. There is no evidence before he killed her that he'd been violent with her, something his defense made a point of later. But still, she was scared of him. And one note about abuse and control, because I've heard this in a couple different cases recently, well, he was never violent, oh, he never yelled, blah, 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 although this guy did, but... In a lot of cases, violence is the end result, and often a person can control and dominate a person in other ways with threats against them or their kids, that type of thing. And it sounds like he was threatening her kids. Sometimes the violence is the end result of losing that that control that they already have. The fact someone hasn't physically raised a hand to a person that anyone else knows of isn't necessarily a sure sign that they're not a threat or that once arrested for murder... I don't think it's evidence that they didn't do the murder. Yeah. One of the things Stephanie was most afraid of was that Burton would hurt her kids, and that's something she told people. He was also apparently made it clear to the kids, as I said before, that he had lots of guns. (laughs) And I don't know if that was to scare the kids. It sounds like he was the kind of guy who would say stuff like that. But, you know, I'm sure he did have guns. He was also, quote, always angry, unquote, one of the kids told police. And he accused their mom of cheating on mm. him. Jesus. Which is a big thing I noticed those control guys like to do. At around 8.30 p.m. on the night of June 4th, Stephanie tucked her 10-year-old son Connor into bed. Half an hour or 45 minutes later, when Sydney, the 13-year-old girl, went to bed, she tucked her in too. Sydney later said that in the few days since her mother had broken up with Burton, their little family was happy again after a toxic couple of years with Burton living in the home. I know, you can... You're... Living with someone
1: like that is like, there's just like a, a tension. sounded like tension. he a hair
0: trigger. Yeah. He was always, that night was the last time they saw their mother alive when she tucked them in. Well, Burton had lots of guns, so he said. He didn't have one with him later that night when he broke in through Stephanie's first floor bedroom window. He did have duct tape, a knife, and other items in his backpack. So later, like when his defense and stuff says he was unarmed, he was not armed with a gun. He did have a knife and duct tape. His father, Roger, told police that on June 4th, Burton said he was upset with Gibo and said, quote, he was at the end of his rope. He told his father he'd discovered messages on an old phone of Gibo's and he suspected she was cheating on him. The point is, she had broken up with him several days before, so it didn't fucking matter. No shit. Like, she wasn't cheating right then. If she had had affairs or something, which I there's no evidence she did, he should just be glad that she was out of his life, right, you would think? but No, no, that doesn't, yeah. A friend of Burton said that when Burton told him he and Stephanie had broken up, Burton told the friend he was suspicious of Stephanie, she had cheated on him, and he told his friend it ain't over yet. The friend told Burton not to do anything stupid with Steph. Burton said not to worry, he was just mad at her. Another friend told police that Burton once said after his conviction that if if he ever had problems with a woman again, he'd kill her. (laughs) He also told the friend he would never go back to jail. The morning after the shooting, Stephanie's 13-year-old daughter, Sydney, got up around 6. She went downstairs. Her mother had a ground floor bedroom and saw her mother dead in a pool of blood in her bedroom. She had duct tape around one wrist. Sydney got her 10-year-old brother out of bed, got him out of the house, and called 911. Stephanie had died of multiple gunshot wounds to her chest and neck and her back, piercing her lungs, her spine, and her trachea. Any one of them could have been the fatal shot, the medical examiner said after a June 7th autopsy. As Sydney was calling 911 from outside, she saw a camouflaged backpack and a jacket out on the ground near her mother's bedroom window that she recognized as Burton's, and inside those, police later found a knife duct tape. Bottle medication prescribed for Burton. He had some issue with his eyes. A flashlight, water bottles. And though it wasn't in the affidavit, it came out in court. Extensive papers written by Burton accusing Gibo of cheating with a bunch of questions for her. Kind of like a 30-page manifesto in his 2001 situation. And his cell phone. They found his cell phone in the bag, too. Hmm. Police found the window to her bedroom open. And there was duct tape on the bed similar to that in the backpack. And it was similar to that around the right wrist. And it wasn't regular silver duct tape. It was, like, black on one side and white on the other side. So Mm -hmm. it was fairly unique, unusual. A neighbor told police that the day before, he'd seen a guy parked in a black pickup on his property, a neighbor down the street, and asked the guy to leave. Police showed him a photo of Robert Burton, and he said, yeah, that was the guy who was in the pickup on his property. And the guy did leave when he asked him to. so. So it sounds like he was... Stalking Stephanie a little, maybe. Probably. Prosecutors have said the lock on the window in Gibo's bedroom appears to have been rigged to allow entry from outside, though it appears to be locked shut from the inside. Ah, So it looks like it's locked.
1: So she thought she had locked it, but she had fucked with it. Yep,
0: and it's kind of something a guy with nine burglary convictions would know how to do. Yeah, I bet he did. But by the time 13-year-old Sydney found her mom, Burton was long gone. Now, here's an interesting thing. While researching this story, I kept coming across in the early articles when he the murder first happened and he was on the run. It was across a photo, and I vaguely remember this from the time, and I wasn't working at the Sentinel yet at this point. The caption said it was from the state police, courtesy of TV station WABI, and it was of Robert Burton outside a country store, Casey's Country Store in Parkman, and there's a TV microphone you can see the hand holding it. You can't see who's holding it. And it says it's from state police, courtesy of WABI. And the caption says it was taken. It was an interview with Burton in the morning Gingibo's body was found. And I'm like, well, that's not right. Because if he did a TV interview that morning, because he took off, you know, and it, so it kind of bugged me. Yeah. It was, and I have a vague memory of it bugging me at the time. But it wasn't my, I didn't have authority over that thing. And I'm like, why does this say, why do none of the stories say he did a TV interview? I know. Why can't we find it online? So I spent some time today trying to find out where the photo had come from. Yeah, kind of a rabbit hole I ended up going down. But as I said, obviously, if he'd given a TV interview the day she was found, a bigger deal would have been made of it. And and also, he immediately took off. So he didn't, and that would have been part of the timeline. (laughs) Yeah, there he was in front of Casey's. Country in Parkman, a TV microphone in front of him, and his black pickup truck, which police were also looking mm. for, behind him. After quite a bit of digging, and it was very hard, actually, to find... Well, it's one of those copy and paste... Well, you know, and I looked on YouTube yeah, for WABI's one. interview with him, and it turns out he was interviewed less than a month before, not that morning, ah. when another murder was committed in Parkman. And I'll read from this May 13, 2015, Bangor Daily News story by Knocknoy Ricker. The death of local resident David Grant, whose body was found at his Packard Road home late Tuesday night, left one of his neighbors feeling nervous. Rob Burton, who lives just down the narrow dirt road from where Maine State Police and Media had congregated Wednesday, stopped his truck as he was driving past to find out what had happened. It's only a mile from my house. That's not good, said Burton, who lives with his girlfriend and her young children. Ah. Stuff like this destroys a small town, said Burton. It makes you nervous. How ironic. Now, I don't know if he talked to both the Bangor Daily News and WABI, or if the Bangor Daily News just lifted his quotes. Her story sounds like he was in his truck and somebody... The TV photo shows him standing in front of the country store, so maybe he gave two separate interviews about that he was all over the place about it there you go so that's a little weird coincidence so it was a bad caption but it just kept being reproduced right so for like... a few and then it stopped appearing the photo stopped appearing well the first time it was used was on june 5th by the portland press herald well the bangor daily news had used it then the portland press Herald used it and all it said that day was It was from police, courtesy of WABI, and didn't say. But then when it appeared in the newspapers I worked for, it said it was the morning of her body being found.
1: That's weird. So it's
0: wrong. I think the more interesting thing is not the incompetent journalism, (laughs) but the fact that here he is less than a month before he commits a murder. I know. Kind of waxing, moralistic, or whatever, concerned neighborly about another murder. And by the way, Zachary Grant, the victim's son, was later convicted of that oh, yes. killing, another and mains long domestic violence hit parade. But after Robert Burton killed Stephanie Gingibo, he didn't stick around for the TV cameras. Police immediately began looking for him. Burton was described as being five foot eleven and weighing about 180 pounds, with brown hair and blue eyes. He had two distinctive tattoos on the back of his hands, a shamrock on his left hand, And the word outlaw on his Uh, right hand. If people see him, we ask you to call us and let us approach him, State Police Lieutenant Troy Gardner said that morning. They had set up a a command post at the Parkman Town Hall. They later moved it to the high school. At 4.30 a.m. on June 8, a few days later, Roger Burton, Robert's father, found a note from Robert under the windshield wiper of his truck at his home telling him where to find Robert's truck. Another truck was reported stolen from nearby Abbott shortly after that. Hmm. And this was according to the police affidavit. Police found Burton's truck in the woods with a shirt with a bullet hole in it and some blood. Burton was spotted walking on a snowmobile trail in Guilford, which is near Parkman. A few days later, then on July 6th, he was seen near Davis Pond in North Guilford caught on somebody's security camera. A camp owner told police he saw a man fleeing in a canoe or kayak on Davis Pond around the same time, and the man was wearing camouflage clothing, Hmm. and the newspaper story said, and had a black pack strapped to his body, but come on, people, it was a fanny pack. He was wearing a fanny pack. Yeah, it was
1: a fanny pack.
0: (laughs) But he hadn't strayed far from home. This was all within a maybe 10 or 15-mile radius of where he'd lived. The woods are very thick. There aren't a lot of people. The towns, you know, little houses are clustered, and, When we say camp, we're not talking about campgrounds. We're talking about little vacation cottages and hunting lodges and Mm -hmm. little hunting cabins and stuff like that. In July, with Burton still not found, Stephanie's father, Vance Ginn, issued a statement to the media asking Burton to turn himself in. Burton's grandmother also appeared on television in late July, asking her grandson to go to the police. Right before Fourth of July weekend, electronic signs were put up on the main roads of the area. Uh, in five locations that said, manhunt underway, call 911 with tips. <laughs> Maine Department of Safety spokesman Steve McCauslin said at the time the signs were primarily geared toward vacationers who may be on their way to that section of Maine for the holiday weekend may be completely unaware of what's been going on for the last month, which is true. This didn't get a lot of press initially, even though a uh, fugitive wanted for murder was running around, and... Fourth of July weekend is kind of the weekend summer starts yeah. in Maine, and that's when a lot of the people from out of state come up to open their camps mm-hmm. and come up to vacation and It was shortly after that that he was seen on that surveillance camera and at the time police also sent a reminder that they've been sending since her body was found saying that the public should be aware as they head to their camps in the area and I encourage them to call if they find anything out of place or unusual. Yeah and requesting camp owners to account for all their watercraft and to immediately report anything that was missing. Area residents speculated that he was hiding in the rugged terrain, crisscrossed with all-terrain vehicle trails and tote roads, and breaking into vacant camps and eating food to survive. I don't like North Pond. I kind of
1: like like the North
0: Pond. And in mid-July, we did an article at the Sentinel about how his being in the woods and running around in the big manhunt was hurting some businesses And by that time, Maine Police had set up a command post inside the high school in Guilford. The FBI had joined the effort. So it was state, local, county, and the FBI all looking. And Lieutenant Sean Hashey of the Maine State Police says, we want to find him to bring conclusion. The family needs him to be caught, and the community does too. And what I always feel like is when they say the family needs it, what. And not to go on after our two <laughs> episodes of making a murder, but what the justice system needs, you can't have people who kill people running around. Yes, the family definitely needs it, and the community doesn't want to kill running around, but people can't just kill people and then go off running around, <laughs> you know. And the cop said, Sean Hashey said, we're being told that people aren't coming to camp. And if you talk to businesses in the area, we know that they're not seeing the traffic they normally see. So that was another effect. Yeah. And this is from that well, article. maybe
1: they shouldn't have told the Flatlanders. that. that they, right.
0: Just leave them alone. And this is from that article we wrote. Rob Robinson, the son and owner of the CNR store in Harmony Village on Route 150. And that's about eight miles up the road from the fla- one of the flashing signs, said a suspected killer loose in the area had cut off his store's usually robust summer business. Mm. We usually get a lot of four-wheelers. They don't seem to be coming out this summer, he said. I think they're afraid of running into him because the people go four-wheeling in the woods on uh, their ATVs. Yes. A lot of people from out of state have been asking about that sign. Business is a little slower <laughs> right now, and it has been since that guy killed his ex-girlfriend. And another guy at the Cambridge General Store, Jamie Johnson, which is even farther up Route 50 and closer to the murder scene, agreed that business had slowed, especially on weekends. We're all locking our doors and locking our cars. It's scary. I can't believe they haven't found them yet. And I know it's a cliche, but it is a place where you don't normally lock your door or your car. Mm -hmm. Not unlike my town, where I, I don't think I ever locked my car or my door. And one woman said, I think he's hiding in the trees, like those guys who escaped in New York. And he had killed Gibo the day before the Escape from Danamora. guys had escaped from Danamora, So they were getting a lot of the press. Yeah. There. She said, they're probably walking right under him. I'm not worried for myself down here, but I wouldn't want to live up there. And then another guy said, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I don't feel any threat from this man at all. <laughs> He said, though, they are locking their vehicles and taking the keys inside the house for safekeeping, which they wouldn't normally have done. This is directly because of him, because if he is out there on the loose, I don't want him to take my truck to get away. Another guy, Laurel Williams of Athens, and by the way, Athens mean nothing like Athens, (laughs) Greece, in case you're wondering, (laughs) said he was worried because he's dangerous. He says, sure, it concerns me, a man running around loose with a gun. They never did find the gun, by the way. Oh, and this guy is ninety-five years old. This guy, he'll kill anybody. He'd shoot his mother, I think. This guy is vicious. <laughs> so I don't know I don't know why I loved that quote in the paper, but um Well what's wrong with it? I don't know. Tracy Morrison, owner of Morrison's garage in Harmony, said he had started locking his windows at night. But he was convinced Burton is in the North Guilford area where he grew up. Paul Griffin, owner of Griffin's Clothing and Footwear in Skowhegan, and another outlet in downtown Guilford, which is... Let's see, the guy I know, his last name was Griffin. which but is, He died in, like, 2010, I think. Hmm. And that's the... the well, they're probably related. I but Guilford's kind of the biggest town around there. He said Burton had a lot of friends in the areas and knows the hills, bogs, and woods quite well. He said that is an advantage for Burton because police don't know the locals and the local area the way Burton does. Why do I think they haven't caught him yet? I don't think they have a clue what they're doing, he said. He's a local boy. He knows the area and everybody knows him. How many of these police are local that know the area? They don't know the area or they would have found him. I think he knows (laughs) how to get around, where to go and what to do. It's just a game to him. He's not going to go far away, and eventually, he's going to get tired of the game and turn himself in. I like
1: in. your uh, imitation. Of
0: Thank it. you. I don't think he's going anywhere. And that's kind of funny. If you put that stuff in a book, people would think it was kind of cliché, but people really say it. Yeah. But
1: also, did they think that he was that anyone was helping
0: him? I don't think they did. Or people were leaving food and stuff for him probably. Well, they didn't know that for a fact, cause somebody would have to tell them. Yes. But true. they suspected, and I have a point to make about that, which I'll get to, but Sean Hayashi The cop I quoted earlier said we're continuing to search in the same area that we've been searching, North Guilford. We're adjusting what we do based on what we have for information and what we see. So they thought he was still in the area, too. More than two dozen state police vehicles, including a Bearcat armored response and rescue vehicle that I'm sure they were just dying to use for off-road tactical response were ready waiting at the high school. Did they
1: have dogs? Do they have doggies looking for him? They
0: may have at some point, but this was like their long term yeah, response okay. thing. They were all parts of the high school, ready to go, and inside the command center, officers using computers assembled the latest data. They had an estimated thirty law enforcement officers wow. using tracking dogs a few days in July, a few days before the story was written. There was a reward of thirty three hundred dollars wow. <laughs> for his although up there that can go far. For information leading to his arrest. And they were constantly that summer cautioning residents, visitors, and camp owners to lock up their belongings, especially firearms, canoes, and bicycles, to make sure the doors are locked and that they don't leave food in camps if they go away for the week. Kind of like with a bear. And Hashi said, We've been telling camp owners to pay attention to what the camp looks like when you leave it, so that when you go back, you would know if it had been entered.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And they thought he, they were assuming he was still armed. He said a lot of the camps were empty and people were staying away. And he said, we know we will find him eventually. We're being persistent, working with a lot of other agencies. I don't think he's going to surrender. We believe we're going to have to catch him. It's difficult terrain and he knows the area. In July, Piscataquis County Sheriff John Goggins told a TV station, I think it was WCSH, but I'm not sure, that Burton was unarmed when he climbed through the window of Stephanie's bedroom, but took the handgun she fired at him and shot her with it. As he was climbing through the window that night, his would-be victim had a handgun and she shot him, Goggins said in the interview with the Bangor TV station. He said he wasn't armed at that time. She wounded him slightly. They got in the tussle over the gun and he just lost it. He got the gun away from her and he shot her and killed her. When the Bangor Daily News asked him about it the next day, he said the Attorney General told him not to talk anymore about it. Mm Hmm. Liam Marchese, one of the AGs, said, we have spoken to the sheriff, and I believe he understands he should not have said what he did. So he got a little spanking. In the end, Burton led authorities on the longest manhunt in Maine history, 68 days. On August 11th, 2015, he walked up to the front door of the Piscataquis County Jail, rang the buzzer, and said, I'm Robert Burton, and I'm here to turn myself in. Ooh. So he did. So they didn't catch him. Right. WCSH-TV reviewed his booking records and said he looked healthy. The record said when he turned himself in, he looked healthy and weighed 180 pounds, the same weight as when police announced their manhunt on June 5th, more than two months before. So I don't think he was eating roots and berries. And then Paul Griffin, the same guy who said he was playing a game and everything, said, I think everybody knew he was going to do it when the weather got cold and wet, although August isn't really cold and wet. He was tired of playing the game. He's a local guy, and I don't think anyone is upset or happy. It's just another normal day up in this country. It's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knew he'd turn himself in. I thought
1: he was the one that said that. Oh, no. that that was the cop. But let me say that he may have been
0: staying somewhere
1: with somebody for all that time.
0: Or at least towards the end. He was spotted on that surveillance camera running around and taking the canoe and stuff earlier on.
1: Like the one I talked about. Nobody saw him after July That 6th. Appalachian trial show we did with a guy that was on the run and that couple took him in. Oh, yeah?
0: <laughs> but his lawyer, his appointed lawyer, when he first turned himself in, who ended up not being his trial lawyer, Jeffrey Toothaker, told a reporter at the Sentinel, Pete McGuire, and I was there when he did this interview, and it was fine, that Burton didn't break into camps while he eluded police for two months. Which I don't think ever was proved whether he did or didn't, and may have turned himself in because he quote, thought he was gonna get shot by police and didn't like being pestered by mosquitoes and black flies. Burton was getting double meals at the jail since he turned himself in and is covered with bug bites, Toothaker said, when asked to describe his client's condition. So Am I think I supposed to fucking care. Well, I think he was trying to say he wasn't oh he taken care saved. of by somebody. Oh, yeah. Burton's trial was a little over a year ago in September and October of 2017. No one disputed he shot Gingibo, but there were two different versions of what happened during opening statements. His defense attorney, now Henry Zvaris, told the court that Stephanie had invited him to her home and into her bedroom that night and that they had apparently the day before, and this was never proven or disproven, had consensual sex. There was sperm DNA found in her during her medical exam. That was his DNA, but the medical examiner said that it could be several days old. There was no way to tell. Just because you have somebody's sperm in you doesn't mean it got there because he wanted it to be. No shit. His attorney said that while Burton, who he referred to as Robbie, um, was sitting on the bed after she invited him in, And this is just a little while after she had been talking to her stepmother about how they had broken up and she was scared of him, blah, blah, blah. She took a gun out from under the pillow and shot him through the shoulder. Then she held the gun to his face, but it didn't fire. They struggled for the gun, and he was able to move it behind her back, and as they struggled, it went off. As she fell to the floor, it went off again. She hits the floor, and Stephanie dies, Zavoris said. Assistant Attorney General Donald Maycumber, however said Burton was jealous to the point of obsession. He took the memory card out of her cell phone and downloaded her text messages to see if she was <laughs> texting other men. Found inside his backpack were the papers that contained page after page of accusations that Stephanie was having sex with other men. Cumber said he deliberately shot her in the back after breaking into her home through the bedroom window. And the trial kind of went on from there, and it was about what you'd expect. For instance, his father, Roger Burton, said, I would describe the relationship as two people in love, until Ging Gebo broke it off and Burton, quote-unquote, flipped out. Oh, God. I remember that. I remember it his father being, quote-unquote, as Saying he had reached the end of his rope. Burton never threatened to hurt Gebo, Roger Burton said, but Robert Burton suspected she was up to something, quote, shady and sneaky. I remember two this now. Two weeks earlier, before she died, Burton had found messages Robert Burton had, proving to him that she was cheating on him with other men, Roger Burton said. But that almost lends more weight to the prosecutors. Right, even if she was cheating. If she was cheating, so does that mean she killed him? No, that means he'd be more likely to kill her. And also, I think there's plenty of evidence that he's not a guy who's just... La-dee-da, everything's fine, and oh my God, she's cheating on me, so I'm going to flip out. Yeah, ask
1: his ex-girlfriend from 10 years or however long ago. Right, yeah, 15.
0: The defense also did something I would think would be a really bad idea, whether he was innocent or guilty, and that's using an improvised bed that looked like hers, a queen-size bed similar to one that they had shared until their breakup, as one newspaper said. And a replica gun, they had him act out the sequence of events as he narrated it, because he testified in his yes. own defense, saying, Ugh. she told me she was going to kill me and get away with it, Bird said. But I would think you never have the person act it out, because you don't want, I, and I've heard lawyers say this, another thing we can ask, Mac, you don't want the jury to see the guy with the gun. You don't want them to be able I to know, picture him so with weird. a gun. But with the bed set up in front of the judge and jury, with a bright red sheet on it like the one she had in Parkman, Burton testified that on the night of june fourth, he went to her house and told her his earlier fantasy about him binding her with duct tape until oh, he was until I'm he sorry. was told the truth about her cheating on him. He the duct tape he said was because he planned to bind her until she quote admits her wickedness cheating with other men. Like that makes him sound legit. Jesus. Burton acted out both his and Gibo's part, saying Gibo reached under her pillow, lifted it, and fired a gun through the pillow, striking him. Which she very well may have yes, done when she he came to when
1: he fucking came I in. I heard a killer. click,
0: right, I heard a click, a very distinct loud punk, and could see the pieces of the pillow floating down, Burton recalled, under direct examination from his other court-appointed lawyer, Zachary Brandmeier. He very well could have that seen that, too. That's happen. good detail on his part. Burton said he fell back, unable to use one side of his body. Although later, when they examined him after he turned himself in, it was a flesh wound to his shoulder that had healed by itself and wouldn't have caused any damage, you know, the kind of damage that would you wouldn't be able to move. He said, Stephanie then jammed the pistol under his chin so hard he saw stars. Aww. She pulled the trigger and nothing happened, he said. The gun had misfired. He said Stephanie got up from the bed. She probably
1: did try to do that while he was trying to strangle her. Right.
0: He said Stephanie got up from the bed, pointing the gun at him again, as he tried to push the gun away with his left hand, with his finger and her finger meeting on the trigger as they struggled. Hmm. He said the gun went up under her back, and the gun fired into her back. Yeah. She was shot, he said. The couple then struggled, and she was shot a second time in the back, and then later a third time after he attempted to clear the chamber of the gun. With his finger still on the trigger while she was down on the floor. Sure. He said he did not shoot her intentionally, and if I didn't mention it before, he was using a self-defense. Defense. defense. Mm. Chief Medical Examiner Margaret Greenwald, who did the autopsy but was retired by the time of the trial, had testified earlier that one of the three shots that killed her was fired while she was already down on the floor because the bullet was found in the floorboards under her body. And, of course, he had heard that testimony. She also testified that the shots were, like, lateral, straight through her, which wouldn't be consistent with a struggle. He would have had to have his arm in a really weird position yes. to shoot, if they were both struggling for the gun, to shoot her through the back. Oh. So it went straight through her instead of, like, going, like, at some and weird an angle, angle or, or something. something. Yeah, that makes sense. Attorney General Joseph Alsop, who was one of the prosecutors on the case with May Cumber, cited a letter Burton penned to his first attorney, saying Gibo was shot first on the right side when she actually was shot on the left side of her back. Alsop pointed out that she had told Burton she was scared of him after their breakup, apparently something Burton had um, mentioned in many of his writings about this. Duct tape found on her bloody arm and on her bed matched the duct tape found on a roll in his backpack and in his truck, so Alsop said that Burton had come to the house that night with a plan to tape her wrists and ankles to compel her to tell the truth about her sex life, or I would put that in quotes. He also said he tried to put duct tape over her mouth that night causing a cut and a bruise to her lip. There were defensive wounds that were consistent with that. Elsop also said the shooting was not accidental. He asked Burton why he didn't call 911 immediately after the shooting, why he had not to see if the kids were okay upstairs. In fact, one of the bullets lodged in the floor of the upstairs bathroom. Instead, Elsop said, you ran away and stayed out in the woods for 68 days. Other people testified, too, like Burton's friend George Miles, who Burton reportedly visited while he was on the run. Mm -hmm. Miles is the one who earlier Burton talked to before he killed Stephanie. Burton complained to him before the shooting that Stephanie was cheating, and I just have to say this quote because it is such a great quote. Okay. That Miles said in trial... He had a mean demeanor look on his face with dark eyes
1: when he said she <laughs> was right. cheating.
0: So he hammered that. Home. That's when he said things weren't over yet. But when he said it, he had, he had, he had a, a mean demeanor, demeanor look okay. with dark eyes, too. Mean, me, mean demeanor. Demeanor demeanest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Miles said Bert was jealous, thinking Stephanie was, quote, talking with other guys via text. But if they were broken up, so fucking what? Right. In the notes found in Burton's backpack, he accuses Gebo of looking for sex with any random man and craving quick-easy sex.
1: Have <laughs> Who you, doesn't? Right, I know. It's,
0: what's his point? Right? <laughs> Have you been loyal to me, Burton asks, as he lists in the notes the names of area men he wondered if Gebo had oh, sexual Jesus relations Christ. with, using, according to this news story, crude and vulgar language. Mm-hmm. I bet there was some F oh, maybe. And one of the deputies on the scene who investigated the scene testified, as we talked a little about before, that the mounting screws on the window lock near her bed had been re- on the window near her bed had been removed, and the latch was set so that it looked like it was locked, but you could open the window, and that was either by accident. Yeah, his fingerprints were found on the exterior window, so even if he had left through the window. If she had let him in, his fingerprints wouldn't have been on the outside. So in the end, Burton was found guilty and sentenced to 55 years. They originally were going to ask for life, but there's some legal rigmarole about somehow it would make it harder to appeal if it wasn't life. We'll have to ask Matt, because maybe there's some kind of automatic... No, there was an article, but it was poorly written and didn't explain it well enough for me to explain it. But since there's no parole in Maine, he was 40 when he was convicted. He'd be in his 90s in any case. But in September, this past September, he filed an appeal saying his burglary conviction shouldn't have been brought up and that they poisoned the jury. By the way, I don't think I mentioned either that there was a change of venue from Piscataquis to neighboring Penobscot County. This murder was statewide news. Yes. So I agree that a jury in Penobscot County would have been more objective like, maybe fewer people would have known him. But everybody knows everybody in Maine. Yeah, I you know, know. But but I don't know if that's part of the appeal. The um, Maine Supreme Judicial Court heard arguments, and um, I guess he appealed on a few counts in Didn't September look. at the Cumberland County Courthouse in Portland, and there's been no ruling. On a final note, shortly after he turned himself in, Stephanie's father, Vance Ginn, did an interview with Rachel Ohm at the Sentinel, Morning Sentinel, and he said, it was very sad, he said they just didn't see the signs of control, they didn't see the red flags, and looking back, the fact that he kept her from her family, that there was a lot of stuff, you know, sometimes if somebody's keeping somebody from their family, it's even hard to tell that they are,
1: you know, people are busy. And there's also, what can you do about it sometimes? Well, I mean, it's hard to, if you've ever known somebody who is in that kind of a relationship... And you know that there's probably something going on, but you can't talk to I mean, you can try to talk to them. They'll be defensive. Right. You can try, but there's nothing, and there's not much you can do. People are embarrassed
0: to step in and make a big deal about something. That, but even if you do sometimes, this, right, you know, it, they wish they could have done more. But he and his wife, Angel, become active in domestic violence well, causes. Good. He thinks her death could have been prevented. Um, some of the counties in Maine, though Piscataquis isn't one has an ankle monitor system, an electronic ankle monitor system for domestic violence convicts who are considered a danger. Mm. And he said, if that's what we have to do to stop it so that people won't have to sleep with a gun under their pillow for the last week of their life, then so be it. There was an article written on her, what would have been her 40th birthday, August 23rd of this year. And it says that more than half the people murdered in the first eight months of 2018 were domestic yeah. violence, as always. Dozens of monitors for domestic violence offenders are now being used across the state to tr- keep track of their whereabouts, and it has been effective yeah. in some Somerset sure it does, countries. because if they know that the guy's getting close to the, yeah. But um, a proposed bill, I mean, they work more than a restraining order. Yeah, they cost. do. Yeah,
1: because you can actually see where the person right, is. Right, you see yeah. where the
0: person is. A proposed bill to bring almost $2 million in funding to monitoring programs statewide was shot down in the legislature
1: earlier this year. Actually, I think our governor was actually, I don't think he was against it. I, think I don't, he, it didn't
0: get to him. It but didn't I think, even get to yeah, him. but it he always of, his I think, opinion. I think it was part of another bill, you know, got He's tangled up. He's very
1: anti-domestic violence.
0: Yeah, in any case, the first system was started in Somerset County, which is just west of Piscataquist County, in 2014, when money was raised in honor of Amy Bagley Lake. <sighs> um. She and her two kids were killed in Dexter By her husband, Stephen Lay. That was the week, and I think I've talked about it on other shows. We've
1: talked about it. Where That
0: stretch of 10 days where she and her kids were killed. And then, like, less than a week later. Was that when the one in That woman in Winslow. No, the one in SACA was, like, the next year. A woman in Winslow was shot in the street in front of her kids. Oh, Oh, that's right, that one. The financial barrier is the biggest one, said Kennebec and Somerset County District Attorney Megan Maloney who's my district attorney, and she's very strong on domestic violence. And she said the way they dealt with it in Somerset and Kennebec County back then is as soon as they got the startup cost, they started the program and got people wearing them so that the program was in place, it was effective, and it meant that the money keep coming. According to this article, the kind of system, I think this is the Bangor Daily News article, has allowed at least a dozen counties in Maine, and there are 16 <laughs> which we'd we have the song if we had had our, one of our mini-means to launch similar programs, but there's no program in Piscataquis County. Their DA, Chris Almey of Piscataquis and Penobscot County, said the need has not warranted such a program. Yeah, Chris. He says it makes sense in certain situations. Piscataquis County is certainly open to it when the need arises. I would say have the program. Don't tell me there's no fucking domestic violence in Piscataquis County. I would think that the... The poor... The yeah, it's the, the one of the poorest counties in Maine. And how do you know? Because how much of it is reported? Right. And if it is reported, how much of it right. is followed up right. on? But her father, because of that, has taken efforts into his own hands. And he's starting to raise money, starting in Piscataquis County. The system's cost as much as $15,000 to get started. And he's holding fundraisers. He held a pig roast in Greenville right after this. And he says... I don't want anybody else to feel the hole that I feel in my heart and my guts. And that entire story is not in my book. No, just the fugitive in the woods. It's just the guy in the woods that's an ass. But when I started researching this, I was originally going to kind of do short stories on all the three things. Then the more I looked into this, more I thought, you know what, I'll just do this. It's not unique, except for him running around in the woods. But it's very real, and it's an issue again where people like even at the trial and I when I was reading about the trial when it was going on, you know, this whole thing, well, was there ever evidence he was ever violent against And his her?
1: father. I just remember all the quotes from his father. Oh, he was I such know. a dick. I remember us
0: talking about it at the time. Oh, a, Jesus You know, and it's like until No wonder
1: he turned out that way.
0: Right. Until people understand and this is a guy. It's not like he never offended no before. No shit. He had domestic violence. Well, that's in his what past. I mean. What he did to I the know. other woman 15 years before, and then he spent most of the time since then in prison. I know. You know, it's just like the one. You know, in
1: Albert flick. Yes. Same thing. And yeah. and and that's the problem, though, that law enforcement does not take domestic violence overall in our country or in in the world. It's not even considered as bad a crime as like stranger on stranger crime or any. I mean it's just that a guy beats up his wife and it's like yeah. Or a guy you know. doesn't
0: beat up his wife. So it's, it's like the there's fright. no right, there's no danger and then she ends up murdered. Well, he never beat her up. For as many strides as have been made, there is still such a misunderstanding about it. And I get really tired of people who say, Well, why was she with him? Why don't they leave and blah blah blah? And I just heard, I think it was Laura Richards or somebody, say recently... Or was it Kevin DeBacker? uh, No, but it could have been. Instead of saying, why does the woman stay or why does the woman go out with the guy, people should say, why is the guy allowed to do this?
1: Why is that He's the one
0: who's doing something wrong. we, We
1: always say it. I mean, instead of teaching women how to avoid... Being attacked or avoid being like uh, Gavin De Becker does, which you should. The gift of fear. But why are men, male members of society, raised with this feeling of entitlement? Oh, like this whole new thing about incels, which is
0: involuntary celibate. celibate. Yeah, like that kid who shot the people in San. And this,
1: this was only you a few Yeah, some weeks women ago. are involuntarily no, like, celibate too. <laughs> this guy I work with was like. I just heard about this whole incel thing. Have you heard of that? And I said, yes, where have you been? It's
0: because it was at Shoe. And then we we
1: started talking about, I know, but I mean.
0: See, because men feel like they're entitled to have sex. But it's been around. I mean, people have been talking about it for a while. Because men, like there are plenty of women I know who have gone long periods without. Some women in this room. Without having sex. Because there's no one to have sex with, and that's just the way life But we
1: don't go around wanting to kill is, all men no, but for I'm, that reason. No, we mean, have other reasons.
0: No, but what I'm <laughs> saying is yeah. we don't have a name for it. No. We don't feel like it's this condition that's been thrust upon us against our will that makes us angry. No, I know. But men feel so entitled that if they want to have sex, they should be able to have sex with women. Like that they're these victims of this like even well they like, don't what's with your fucking hand but
1: st- well why can't they just go to a, 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 go to a prostitute? go no. to Sex worker. They Maybe they aren't in their town. Maybe they're cheap. Yeah. May, they don't think they should have to, I right. guess. well. they're such a fucking gift to the Right. That women that should women want, want, there want should them. be a
0: woman out there who wants to have sex with them because they're, they've got such a winning personality and are so attractive.
1: When we, once we started talking about incels at work, then we started talking about guys we, that, were in, mm. so that we thought were incels. Do
0: you feel that that was an appropriate no, topic no, for no, a workplace
1: conversation? Well, we weren't. To speculate on the sex lives. We weren't on, the, the, we weren't and, out on the sales yeah. floor. Hmm. Anyways, but even studies they've done on young kids, I think it's in our society, but even young boys, you know, questions that are appropriate for children, but like, do you think if you give somebody this, should they give you that? Or like, if you if you gave a girl a piece of candy, should she give you this or something like that? Right. But part of it's how we raise them.
0: Right.
1: You raise them to feel that way. Don't,
0: don't look at me. I'm not raising anything. You're raising
1: your boys (laughs) to be that way.
0: Well, it's just like, you know, we used to go out after work at the newspapers I worked at, like, every night for decades. But if I was the first one there or something, I would rarely... Now I'm more comfortable with it, but when I was in my 20s and 30s, I would rarely go sit in a bar by myself. No. Because guys bug you. But when I did, lots of times if a guy would ask if he could buy me a drink, and believe it or not, it used to happen when I was younger, thinner, and cuter lots of times I would say no which would offend them yes, and they'd say they'd why mad. not why not and, and I and and part of it is my feeling like I'll just be an asshole and maybe they'll leave me alone yes, but part no, of it is I don't. really felt it but I'm like because then I'd be obligated to talk to you yeah it's true and they'd either say oh no you wouldn't and, and I'm like well then why are you buying me a drink and of course then we're having the conversation but I'd be like no thank you and they would they be offended yeah. that I wouldn't let them. <laughs> or buy if you a want drink. To dance
1: with them, they get mad. Right? What are you, lesbian? Yeah. And okay, I've dance. got one. Okay. This is even worse. It was a, one of those really bad snowy days. It's on my way to work. I used to work about. It was about a sixty mile. Tri- one, one way to work so i'm driving along and i was going slow then suddenly my car went off the road little did i know at the time that a tire had blown but i didn't know that i was like why am i sliding off the road <laughs> so i slid off the road and thank god for cell phones i called AAA. I was waiting for AAA. uh this guy Stops and he's like, Do you want me to give you a ride somewhere? And I said, No, I called AAA, I'm all set. He got really hostile. He's like, Who the fuck do you think you are? And all this shit. And I was like, well, fuck off. See, that's going to convince me. I, to get I in shut my window and, you know, you know and what? then he didn't go away. He parked in front of me, but then a state trooper <laughs> came and um, put his blue lights on and parked behind me. And then the guy drove away. AAA, it took them forever because they were helping people, but they did come. It was weird, though. The cop never came up and said, I'm just going to sit behind. <laughs> Right. He just sat in his car. He didn't right. He probably didn't want
0: to get out in the Freaking snow. Freaking drink
1: his coffee. But he, all I can donut. think about,
0: all I can, <laughs> there he was helping you. <laughs> Sorry. Because I was thinking that the other, I was driving and I saw a cop helping a woman change a tire. And I thought, you know, you see that a lot that they stop.
1: Once when I was at my, it was also a snowstorm and I was pregnant at the time. I was at my boyfriend's house. Uh, I went to his house after work because it was closer because it was you when, know, I, I have to
0: explain why. when
1: I still lived up there. He hadn't plowed his drive. He was still at work. Mm-hmm. And it was like freezing rain had gone on the snow. So it was like ice. And I was trying to like shovel it and I couldn't. And a Scarborough policeman stopped and shoveled the driveway for me. And oh. he didn't even know I was pregnant. He I could have just been fat for yeah. all he knew. I had a coat that's on it. I mean. But it was a young, very nice cop, but it was very nice of him because yes.
0: in my experience many times they're kinda not nice. but going back to the guy stopping, I always feel all I can think about is that woman and I think we've mentioned her a couple times on this who and was driving to New Hampshire. Yeah, and, and her dog he was in the car. Something happened to her. She stopped with a flat tire, yeah. never to be no, seen alive seen like again. It. That
1: happens, you know. But why do you get mad? Like he got mad,
0: right? Like it's like well, there's a couple reasons. First and I of was all, like I wasn't like fuck that. First of all, he could take he could take it. He's a entitled male who could take it as an insult. Well, he, and he was like a businessman looking type of guy. Second of all, maybe he, he was embarrassed and that was his reaction because he said no. You know, I would think any guy. With a brain in their head, would understand why a woman would not want a no, strange man to give them a ride somewhere. You know, like I see things differently. Like I told you this story when I was writing, when I was living in Portland, and I would go to the University of Southern Maine Library, and there's a parking garage. Twice I was talking to guys. One of them is a former cop, Bruce Coffin, who is the head of homicide oh, in Portland. About, just about going to the library, parking there, and and I said to him and a guy who works in that building, you know, so about not liking to park in that garage at night, and both of them said, yeah, but it's, it's open till 11, and I'm like, well, no, I don't want to walk through an empty parking garage. Do you garage watch TV? At night. Well, and, and Bruce is a cop. I know. Or was a cop, and it's like. Guys don't have to think about that. Oh, well, I got in an argument
1: with a guy once because I, I was talking about how cat calls. They don't understand what it's like to be cat called. How sometimes it can be very scary, depending on the situation where you are. And one of them's like, "Well, yeah, because every guy that cat calls you is
0: going to rape." Well, and I'm like, "Well, you don't know." Well, and the whole point of it is the guy it's saying the entitlement. Like, right, the guy I saying, write, "I can." insult you or remark on your sexual attributes or whatever in public so everybody else can see it and there's nothing you can do about it. And
1: it's not the same. It's not the same when a woman does it to a man. not
0: Because men men have the power. It's a false equivalency. But anyway, we're kind of off. So as I said, that's not a really unusual, sadly, not a really no, unusual it's not, story. Especially
1: not here or any state. But I, think,
0: I don't think you can tell stories like that often enough. I think
1: any state without a huge metropolitan population, you're going to see like half domestic or stuff like that right. because there isn't as much well,
0: there's not a interaction
1: lot of, between, yeah, stranger right. on stranger. I mean, people are crowded into cities, so right. you're not going to have that kind of thing happening. But and there's There not is a lot, of, a lot know, of domestic violence in cities, too, but it's also overshadowed by others. Anyways, but thank you for that. And
0: maybe you can do the other two. At some I mean, point, at I some will. Point. Yeah, I will. And so now I think we have some recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you go first, since I've been talking for oh, so long? Oh, yes.
1: So I am going to do a TV show. That I've been watching, which I'm sure a lot of people have watched, Scott and Bailey. It's a British police procedural. It's about two women detectives, I guess. It's a little bit different. They're police systems. Cops. Yeah, they're cops. I can't, I have a hard time. They're, they're co- a little bit yeah, different. Yeah, I can't
0: keep all of those. They're rights. different
1: than, uh, yeah. They're different Straight. than. Jane Scott and Rachel Bailey. They're kind of partners, but they're not the way, it's not the way American ones. Sometimes they partner up, sometimes they don't. But they're friends. Uh, most of their other coworkers, the other cops are men, and then their boss, Jill, is a woman, and her boss is a woman, so I thought that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an episodic one, you know, it's like a different crime each episode. There's some rollover, and the uh, story arc, like their background stories, kind of goes just like... Kind of like a lot of cop shows. Kind of like Law and Order. It's kind of like that type of thing. So I'm going to go through the um, negative nelly. So bad reenactments, that's not applicable. Narrative cliches. Yes, there Mm -mm. are some. Mm -mm 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 -mm. And I will be taking off a point for the narrative. Oh, wow. Because this is the thing. (laughs) What? I'm <laughs> <And laughs> trying <laughs> to quietly be <laughs> evidence. I'm sure this is true to life that a lot of police have bad marriages. Oh, yeah. Um, Janet is in a bad marriage. Her husband is kind of a douchebag, though. But, you know, I was just thinking of Cagney and Lacey because it's kind of similar, even though Cagney and Lacey was a long time ago. And her husband was really nice, Lacey's husband. Well, maybe
0: that was before everybody realized the trope had to be that you have to be in a bad marriage if you're a cop.
1: So, in some ways, this is cliche because Janet is older, um, late 40s, kind of established, has been doing it for a long time. She's reliable, blah, blah, blah. Rachel is young, impulsive, rule breaker sometimes. She's good at her job. She's passionate. So, you know, it's kind of that same, you know, young, old dynamic that we've seen in pretty much, I would say, almost every cop show that has ever been. Yeah. Except for maybe Starsky and Hutch. They were about the same age. Yeah. And then they also, the other cops, like, of course, I swear to God, every cop show has a kind of good-looking, maybe younger, dumb, idiot guy, mm-hmm. cop. Yeah. And they have this guy, Kevin. That's why I'm taking off. I mean, it's like, even though there's, you know, a lot of women in the show, and the writing is pretty good, the the women's friendships depicted well, and I'll get back into that later, but there are a lot of the cop show cliches. Yeah. But, and in a lot of ways, it reminds me of a standard cop show that, and maybe I'm used to watching a lot of, cop shows from Britain that are a little less cliche Yeah. Like Broadchurch and Happy Valley both yes, to mind. And I think Happy shows. Valley is the same writer. Um what at least one of the same writers. But as we as were
0: stuff. as we were having a text con about last night that's a text conversation. Ah, I made that up oh, wow. years ago. I made that up. You're so but smart. I am. Maybe people like cliches. Maybe cliches comfort them. Because yeah, I was watching. That's true. A...
1: Sometimes I like to watch cliches. I
0: was like watching those, all those
1: Lifetime movies and the um. Right. Hallmark movies. Well, I was watching
0: a movie on Netflix that I'm not going to do a rating of Wind River. Um, that was critically acclaimed, but there were so many cliches. And I saw in the thing that there's a rape, and, and watching it, I'm like, there doesn't need to be a rape in this. And I didn't see the rape because I didn't watch enough. But I'm like, I just can't take the cliches anymore. But then we were talking that sometimes cliches comfort people. Well, when
1: you, like I said, the Hallmark movie, the romantic movies that they always have this time of year, those those Christmas ones where you know that the couple will get together. Right. But you gotta watch it. It's fun. So, mm-hmm. um, racial, gender, obtuseness, no, not really. Um, I'm trying to think. They have a, a colleague who's black. It's in Manchester. England. Both. England. England across the Atlantic Sea. Do you know that song? And I'm a genius genius, genius, yeah.
0: I believe in God.
1: But you don't.
0: And I believe that God yeah. believes in Claude. That's,
1: That's me. me. Okay. 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 Every time I say Manchester, England, I think of that song.
0: I used to tell I lived across in Manchester, New Hampshire, for Street. 25 yeah. years, and so I stopped.
1: I don't know exactly what the racial mix is, but U.K. in general, it seems like it's, it's pretty It's a big city. I would mixed. think there would be a lot of But they have a colleague, and then Rachel does have a relationship with somebody above, which doesn't last very long, who's black. It doesn't seem to come up a lot, where there's a lot of women. There's, you know, not much obtuseness that I can see. The women aren't yeah. stereotypical, like women, so I like that. Lack of good visuals now it seems fine. Missing pieces? Not really. It's a it's a police procedural. It's pretty cut and dried. Inaccuracy, inaccurisms? No. It's set in the present day, so I'm not an expert on law, especially British law, so I don't know if there's any inaccuracies or, about that. I, that you're blissfully unaware. Yes, I am. Ignorance is bliss. So storytelling, I'm going to take a half a point off. The storytelling's generally pretty good, but it is kind of rote. It's formulaic, you know. Although the characters are strongly written, so that part is good. It's just, you know, you know it's going to be wrapped up by the end of the... It's kind of like I said, like kind of law and order type of thing. Something's going to happen by the end. It's going to be resolved by the end of the episode. So, but I like it. I'm taking half a point off just because it's kind of like, okay. Freshness, again, I'm taking half a point off because in a lot of ways it is fresh, where you've got a lot of women in the cast. Like I said, Jill... Uh, Murray is their boss and I can't remember what her you know title is but whatever she's the boss and then above her is a woman Jill's counterpart at another sector or whatever they call their their precincts is a woman and they work together a lot so there are a lot of women on the job which is nice to see but at the same time they're stock characters in a way they're well acted though and they are the characters are better better developed than a lot of shows there's a lot of depth to them and their relationships so in that way it's good but I'm still taking half a point off just because I can't Repetition, no, not really. I mean, it's beating the drum, not really. The thing that I like is they don't, it isn't as preachy as some cop shows. There are good and bad people. there's some really scumbag people. The nice thing about it is the cops, when they question people, it's a lot different than the American cop shows. Although there was an episode where they were dealing with a case. It was a cold case, kind of, and they had a tape of an interview like 20-something years before and the cops were, like, American cops were, like... I
0: think they changed it. They did
1: change it, and they talked about that. Yeah. And the way they questioned it's a lot different. They
0: asked you people to tell results. them. still get results, yeah. Right.
1: And it's nice, because the good thing is, it does show you a lot of the interviewing on the show. And as an American watching it, you're like, wow, it's so much different than, like, they Homicide, people, where they get them in the box. Right. And they make they
0: them... They ask people what happened. Yeah. And, have people, and then they
1: say, well, we found this, so right. what do you have to say about that?
0: Right, but they tell the truth, they don't make up stuff that they found.
1: No, they don't. Like American yeah. Cops had. so they're not the same. So, overall, that gets an eight. I really enjoy it. I'm almost done watching it. Is it?
0: Like, I watched the first two seasons years ago. There must be more seasons, right? It's five seasons, yeah, but they're okay. short. They're yeah, really short. Yeah. Where do you watch it? What streaming? It's
1: Thursday? on um, Amazon? Amazon Prime. Yeah. I just wanted something different, you know. But I like it. It really does, in a lot of ways, remind me of Cagney and Lacey because Lacey was, and I used to love that show I when I was too. in high school. Lacey was the married mom cop, who with Harvey, her husband, and then Cagney um, was the young, brash, and right. she slept around and all of that. So it's very similar. I remember, yeah.
0: I always remember one line from that, and I laughed then, and I would still laugh now, that they were going, um, Cagney was the blonde yes. one, right. she was going somewhere with a fairly new boyfriend, they were going like on a tropical vacation, and she's like, I really don't want him to see me in a swimsuit. So. And Lacey goes, but he's seen you naked. And she said, yeah, but I still don't want him to mm-hmm. see me in a swimsuit. Well, well, I, I remember women, one of the first, understand. it might have been the
1: first episode where she wakes up, because you don't know who she is, so you might, that might be the first, Cagney. She's had a one-night stand, and she's getting ready for work. And he said, oh, you got to go off to work. She's like, yeah, New York's finest or something like that. Yeah, uh, to, but, yeah, I like that show, and I've always liked cop shows. Yeah, me too. And, and it is a good show. The characters are good. I find the character of Rachel annoying as fuck, but that, you know, whatever. She, what are you going to do? She's selfish and, like, their friendship's realistic. Jill, their boss, is interesting. And um, Janet's mother lives with her. Near the end of the series, like at the beginning, they don't, but when her marriage breaks up, her mom moves in to help her with the daughters. And it's funny because her mother, like when her boss Jill is on TV, she's like, Oh, Jill, she's so elegant. <laughs> oh, you should be more like Jill. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, is Jill going to be there? Like when they, yeah, she's like funny. obsessed with her, yeah, kind of like our mother would yeah. be. So, yeah, I give it an eight. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out again. You should watch. I, I enjoyed it. When you know, I, watched I liked it. it. I like but it, but then it
0: wasn't on. Like, I watched the first two seasons, and then it was a long time before the third. Yeah, and it I've seems had, like it. it. And maybe I like watched it. it on Hulu and like a lot of streaming services. I have them for a while, and then I don't. The only one I've consistently kept is Netflix. So I, I have kinda have three because I my cable. Well, I'm back. Work. I have right. Well, I haven't had cable, so I now I have Netflix and Amazon Video. I was thinking again Hulu, but then I went and looked, and it's the same issue. I have this with Netflix too. Some nights you just look through. I know through, Hulu. I don't find a lot. Um, you want to watch. I watch
1: some network shows on Hulu. That's yeah. it. I watch yeah. This Is Us. Yeah.
0: I'm cutting costs, and you know. no, if
1: I were to have to cut one, Hulu would be the one yeah. cut, cause i cut because they don't have as much. Although someone else told me that she got rid of cable, and there must be another Hulu serve like a more. There's well, a there bigger, used to be a free one. Mm. Yeah,
0: I but she ads, gets one. And then there was Hulu Mine Plus. has ads.
1: No, the one I have has ads, and, and then I, there's it's not free. Hulu Plus. And it has a lot of ads. Right.
0: So there were different levels, yeah.
1: She said she gets all sorts of channels on, and she pays more than me. I pay like the 99 yeah, well, so whatever uh-huh. she must pay anyway. So what are you going to do? Well,
0: I'm going to do a podcast I've been listening to. I haven't really watched much of anything. I've just finished the third season, of one of my favorite shows, Better Call Saul. Yeah, so but I haven't I, seen any of that yet. I know. I want you to so we can talk about oh. it. And I had rated it... A while back, I still think it's one of the best shows on TV, but I'm not rating that today. I've been listening. Since you've
1: already rated it, that's good.
0: Yeah, but sometimes you can go bad uh, and change okay. if something keeps going. That's true. I mean, it's one thing if you rate something that's just like a movie or something, but if it's a show that goes on and on for seasons, you may change how you feel about it. That's true. You know, in any case, I've been listening to the podcast, The Teacher's Pet. Ooh. It's an Australian podcast, journalism, investigative journalism looking in to the disappearance and obvious murder of a woman, Lynette Dawson, in Australia in nineteen eighty now, I'm gonna get my years wrong, nineteen eighty-five. I know I, I should know the year because they say it all the time. It's pretty good. I found a documentary about the podcast on YouTube that I watched and enjoyed quite a bit because I got to see the people. And I'll just tell you a little bit of the background. Her husband was an Australian football player, Chris Dawson, an identical twin with his brother, Paul. And they had a very, one of those kind of... Like the yoga twins? Worse than the yoga twins. One of those (laughs) very intense twin relationships. They were also kind of players with women. They taught at a high school... And had relationships with students huh. and there was a lot of stuff. You That's can listen ages. to it. In any case, they had two young daughters. He was obviously a controlling dick. His brother and his brother's wife and their kids lived down the street. His wife just disappeared. And mm. he told people she left. It was that kind of thing. But yeah, she was close to her family and they never heard from her. She left without a lot of her belongings. She left her kids, which she wouldn't have done. And you can listen if you want more details about that. It's fairly obvious, you know, that he... It, they, they had brought a babysitter in. He moved the girl into the house. He was having an affair of with her. He a 16-year-old girl. And within days of Lynn leaving, the girl was sharing his bed. I bet she was. He ended up marrying her, and they had a daughter, and they got divorced later, and she... Although she doesn't know what happened to his wife, she was a very naive young woman, she believes he did something, too. And i meant spoiling anything by saying all that. It's all pretty clear. Bad reenactments. Now, this is interesting, because they do something that I wish more podcasts would do. They have a lot of audio, but they also have a lot of court transcripts. And he'll say, you know, here's the interview with so-and-so that the police did in 1995, and he'll say... These are their words; they're not their voices. Ah. And and the people who do the read them are good. They have different Australian-type accents. There's no histrionics or anything. But I really like that line. These are their words; they're not their voices. And someone else does that, though. There's, I mean, they don't say that, but. And he but, says but, it, yeah. you know, every time, so you don't have to. So you don't so have not, you're to You're like, okay, is this right. real? Or, yeah. Because I've listened to podcasts with reenactments. I find like I can't listen. <laughs> well, not the done because it's funny. But So I will say, here's a podcast that has good reenactments. Okay. I'm not taking away points nice. I like. They have a lot of audio, and I'm not sure where I'll put. Maybe in the good visuals part, I'll talk more about some of the audio issues. But as far as just reenactments go, they're on the money. Narrative cliches. This is where I have a little bit of an issue. As much as I like the podcast, there are assumptions made. Like, this was the early 80s. And he, the narrator, Headley, I think his name is, has said, and he's a journalist, has said several times, why didn't her friends go to the police? Why didn't blah, blah, blah? And it's funny because other times people say you can't look at things back then from a 2018 perspective. And one of her friends says, I knew if I went to the police, they'd just poo-poo me. Here he was, this big football player who said his wife, and he was also a teacher, who said his wife had taken off. I'm her friend. I go to the police and say I haven't heard from her for a while. Something happened. And Lynn was one of those people who kept a very good face on things. She didn't tell people. Like, she'd have bruises on her neck and say, you know, make some excuse and stuff. So obviously back then, if they oh, do yeah. it now, the police would have totally blown oh, them yes. off. They would
1: have you know, that
0: the friends, in fact, one of her friends finally went to the ombudsman. She didn't go to the police because she knew they'd blow her off. And the ombudsman, she complained that she didn't feel there was a good police investigation. And they didn't do anything yeah. with it. So his constant saying, constant bringing up, and there's probably at least half a dozen times. And he, he kind of says, if somebody had gone to the police this would have happened, not maybe this would, like her father, like the teenage girl's father, Joanne Curtis, the girl Chris Dawson ends up marrying, her father had a friend in the Mounties, and her father wasn't happy she was dating a guy twice her age, but then she was 16, which is the age of consent, it was a broken family, she didn't live with her father, and he said a couple times, if her father had gone to his friend in the Mounties, although he said it's not the Mounties. I'm, thinking, I'm getting my shows up. Right. I was going to say,
1: I do not know the had, Australian police. I didn't know Mounties in Australia. <laughs> I'm
0: also listening to a, uh, a Canadian one. If her father had gone to his friend who was high up in the police, that friend would have gone to Chris Dawson and said, stop having an affair with the 16-year-old. And Chris Dawson would have stopped, blah, blah, blah. And, I, and he said that a couple times. I'm like, hey, that may have happened. Or the guy may have said to the father, I'm not going to do that. Or the cop may have gone to Chris Dawson, and Chris Dawson seemed pretty confident that the police were never going to He's question really him. Like, fuck
1: off. He would have said, Screw yeah. you, you
0: can't tell me who I can have an affair with. She's age of consent. Even though she was a student of his, which was in the school. with the 80s. Like they did with priests. No, there was a big sex oh, yeah. scandal at the school that's coming out now, moved him to another school yeah. and stuff. So I'm going to have to take a point away because of. I feel like it's a, a narrative cliche to say, to think, like, in this perfect world of people stood up, if her friends who hadn't seen her went to the police and said, we haven't seen our friend, she's gone, they would have. And a couple of them say, well, we assumed the family was reporting it. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's very easy to look back at something 35 years ago and say, oh, from our perspective, but things were so different back then. They really were. Racial gender obtuseness, I can't speak to the racial Because I have no idea. Race is never, ever mentioned. Gender obtuseness. I think there is some gender obtuseness. And I'm going to take away half a point because yeah, I like Hadley or whatever his name is. But I think he sometimes doesn't understand how women think or feel. And it kind of goes to the thing I was saying before. Most women back then would not have gone to the police and said, my friend is missing. Because they knew how dismissed they would have been. Yeah. And there are a lot, of, and there are some instances where he kind of questions Lynn's behavior. Well, that's how a woman like her would behave with her husband, and it's funny. And I thought of this when I was doing my story a while ago. Although I think Robert Burton did scream and yell a lot, but people who heard them arguing would say, "Oh yeah, I've, I heard Lynn yelling, but you never heard Chris yelling." And the implication is kind of like, "Well, then she was the one." who was blowing her top. But when a controlling person, they don't have to yell to be controlling. Oh, yeah. You know, there are some people who are Especially very controlling. Especially when they're the bigger one. Right. When he was built and people talk about how, you know, he's a big, strong guy and she was a small woman. He didn't have to yell. She was probably yelling out of frustration. So I took a half a point away from that. Lack of good visuals. It's a podcast, but let me talk about the audio the one, one issue I have is there's poor quality audio on some phone calls or some audio recordings. And on other podcasts where they have that issue, they recognize it and they'll repeat what the person said. Yeah. That doesn't happen on this one. So I'm going to take away half a point for that. It happens almost every episode. Yeah,
1: what's, uh, Sarah, what's her
0: name on serial does that? Yes. If you and didn't it, hear what he said, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. It's hard enough with the Australian accent sometimes to understand what they're saying. No offense to... I love your accents are Australian, which we have many listeners. But, you know, you have to try a little harder to understand some of the words. And then when it's poor quality audio, it just makes it much more difficult. Missing pieces? Not really. There are things... I mean, it's long. It had 14 original episodes, and then there were some developments in the case. And they just had a couple more. This first came out, I think, either earlier this year or last year. And they just had some more. And by the end, they kind of cover things pretty well. My only issue is they talk about geographic things without me really... Like, I had to look at a map of Australia, which, okay, I you know, that's on me, not them. But even then, because this happens in South Wales, and then they talk about Queensland, which is the state above it, Victoria. But they talk about, like, the northern beaches. So I'm looking at my big atlas, which... It's sitting around here somewhere. Oh, it's on the bathroom floor, yeah. And That's a story for a different day. But I can't tell looking at my atlas as detailed as it is where the northern beaches are. They talk about these different towns. Like, I want to see where people went and what they did. And they talk about this, um, the peninsula they live on, the Insula Peninsula, (laughs) although that's not its name. So I would like to know more about the geography. That's my fault. So I'm not going to take away... Although the guy the from cases. case file usually says where things are. He does. Inaccuracies, anachronisms, I would say it's a little anachronistic to expect people in 1980 whatever to behave the way the people in 2018. Thing, say, but it's yeah. not, but I've already taken a, you know, points away for it in another part, and it's not so overwhelming that it's a constant bother, so I won't. Storytelling, it's pretty good. It's your kind of typical journalistic podcast. One issue I have is that it goes on too long, like when he makes phone calls to people, too much of the conversation (laughs) that doesn't have to do. It does. Well, it does. I laugh. Every time I listen to a podcast now. Kind of that thing, oh, Hadley, we love what you're doing. This is great, blah, blah, blah. Or people, like the phone, like they have a lot of the phone conversation that isn't germane to the story so this is
1: one of those podcasts where he is actually trying to investigate and he did and he actually okay. made something
0: happen you okay know, i don't think it's bad enough to take points away but it does begin to like you're listening to the phone conversation you're like okay this person has said everything they need to say get them off the friggin' phone freshness it's fresh this is a story i don't think it was on anybody's radar and I can't remember now how he picked it up, but he paints a very good picture of the situation. It's not so much fresh, you know, the husband killed the wife and said she disappeared, blah, blah, blah. But it is fresh in that it's not the same story everyone yeah. else is doing. It could have gone on forever without anyone knowing what happened. So it, and it's appalling because he does, he spends a lot of time looking at what the police did and didn't do. They just gave this guy a pass. Oh, and I nobody. Bet. It was 10 years before anybody investigated it. It was weeks before her husband reported her as a missing person, and that was at the urging of her family. So it's very fresh repetition. He does repeat things, but I don't find it bothersome. I think it in a podcast this long about one topic, there's probably the feeling is people need to be reminded. Yeah. And I look at it, these journalistic ones, I look at the repetition as... In a news story, whenever you write a news story, there's a couple of background paragraphs. It's not like when you're watching an episode of Forty Eight Hours and they keep saying the same thing in different ways every minute for forty five minutes. That's and also
1: it depends on how the podcast came out. If it's an episodic podcast, if it came out like every week or it did, yeah, it was and it developed as it was kind of like breakdown
0: does, right? It was it was like that. So I'm not taking anything away from that. Beating the drum, he does beat the drum about, and I'm going to take away half a point, even though it's the one thing I kept having the issue with, if people had done more, not the cops, but her friends, and blah, 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 in 1985, somebody had said something, blah, blah, blah. And I do think it's it's the kind of thing where I think people, her husband is saying she left, the police aren't doing anything, who am I, the neighbor down the street, to say there's something wrong here? Yeah. You know, and I think he needs to have more understanding of that, and he kind of beats the drum on that. It's a little, yeah, a little kind of almost sensationalistic. So I'm taking away half a point for that, but overall, it's good. I am going to do a spoiler here because it's been out for a while. Her husband is was arrested, mm-hmm. and it was fairly recent. The episode where he was arrested just came out in the past couple of weeks. Ooh. So this podcast was done sometime in the last year. Mm -hmm. But I think this podcast forced the police to finally look at this case because nobody was going to do it. I think that's what happened. And just like In the Dark and some other podcasts, that's what journalism is for, to shine the light on something and force the government to do what it's supposed to do. And it's a little appalling, the privilege of Chris Dawson, that he was allowed to get away with, and I know he hasn't been convicted, but even that it wasn't looked into, that something that should have been looked into, and I'll say all you guys out there and also guy cops, if a woman who has a mother she's close to and sisters and friends takes off because she's living with a total asshole, even if she does leave her kids who she's loved and devoted to, she is not going to never contact her mom or sisters or friends. Again, in fact, those are the people who are going to be having to listen well, to her talk the about women the dick the guy most, is.
1: Especially ones that are devoted mothers are not going to leave their kids. Right. And she was they're devoted. not going to not call. Yeah, like you said, they're not going to not contact their mom or sisters or anything.
0: Right. I mean, it's just, like his not. story was, she they don't took off. She needed some time to think. She had said on the phone, "But to she, her mom, what you tell your mom that after the marriage counseling. She called her mom. She doesn't drink." And said, Chris has fixed me a lovely drink. And she was, like, slurring her words. What an idiot. And they think that he often, when he wanted to, like, have sex with the teenager and stuff, would give her a drink and knock her out, give the wife a drink and knock her out. Then he told people that she needed time to think. He set up this whole thing where the mother was supposed to meet him with the kids at this, I think it was a pool or something, the Northern Baths. And then he (laughs) said he got a phone call from her and she wasn't coming, that she had gone She needed some time for herself to think about things. Blah blah blah. I can tell you, a woman in that situation, if she does need time to think, she's not going to some friends nobody ever heard of in Queensland. She's going to her mother or her sisters or her best friend, and she's going to sit there for hours. But also, she would tell telling them. She would
1: also tell. If she has kids, she would tell somebody where she was going, even if she doesn't tell the husband, right. she would tell her mothers in case something happened with one of the kids right. and she would want She's to. She's not going to desert
0: her no. children. And aside from killing her. I'm not saying women never desert their children, no. but, but. But most of them who have good relationships with their families. If they do leave their husbands, and even if they have to get away and have some time to themselves, their, they do not, never, ever, no, for no. 30 plus years, contact their no, family. that's not, no. Or tell their friends what a jerk the guy is and go on and on and on about how they had to leave. But the other thing is, aside from killing her, let's say he did kill her, he allowed, and the kids were four and two, the two girls oh. were, his daughters to grow up thinking their mother had abandoned them.
1: Yeah, her entire life.
0: What a narcissistic psychopath to do that to your kids. I
1: know.
0: Aside from killing the woman, you and know. And then this whole thing, too, about, well, is he really going to kill the wife just to be alone with the teenage girlfriend? And it's like, yes. Yes, he is. Um, have they people have been ever, doing, yeah. killing their wives for bad reasons forever. So I think that is a 7.5. Nice. But it's a strong So I enjoy it. I like listening to it. You know, when I drive to work and I had to drive down to Massachusetts this week and stuff, I like listening to podcasts when I drive. And it's kept me... And ours, you know, sometimes I only listen to ours so
1: much. Right. So. And
0: sometimes I switch between a couple. I'll play one and then play another. And then iTunes likes to screw around with me and... Put things not where I want. But this is one where I just loaded the episode nice. so I could listen to it all. So I highly recommend it. Okay, thank you. And Bye. I think that's it for this <laughs> week. Okay, <laughs> but that's it for this week, right? Yes. Or this episode. I shouldn't say week because it's not it's really not week. week. I no, don't know why not you not say that. Weeks. It's usually every two, three, hand.
1: four. Depends on when we can do it.
0: I. Is there anything else? And you can find us on Crime and Stuff Online is our website or on Twitter. Facebook. Yeah. And if my talking about my book intrigued you, you can find my books on Amazon. It's a series.
1: I uh, tweeted the New York Times today um, about your
0: book. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) But I was going to say the title is Bad News Travels Fast, and it's the third in my series. Just because... Just in case people want to know. Yeah, but, but they they might, see, if they want to
1: start with the first one, it's cold, hard news.
0: And then the second one is no news is bad news because I don't have news in the title. So you get it? And, yeah, so I guess there's a story in the New York Times. In the New York Times. You saw it, I didn't. About. That people were tweeting about.
1: About women writers connected to Maine. Women
0: authors who write about, about the, Maine, real, they they the real, real Maine. They said to write about the real Maine, but then. But they don't. And then don't. they listed a bunch of authors and none of them were me. No. So you tweeted at the New York Times about I it. I said
1: that you were my favorite Maine woman. Thank huh? you.
0: I appreciate that.
1: And that you did write about the real Maine.
0: I do write about the real Maine. I do. I would like to think I do.
1: Yes. Even if it is fictitious. Yeah. It's still real.
0: Somebody said something to me. Somebody who wasn't from Maine, who has been, who has vacationed on the coast, of course, said to me, where did I see it? Sometime in the past week or so. Well, Yeah, I guess there is this whole inland part of Maine, but it doesn't seem very interesting to me. And I felt like. It's like a. What the fuck? Have you looked at a fucking map? Just go to your lighthouses. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, I said, well, that's what we call west of Route 1, which is 98% of the state.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gee, I wonder why people get annoyed with. Never
0: mind.
1: What? People from away? Well, it's it's a double edged sword.
0: But in any case, we should get going. Okay. It's cold.
1: It's late. Yeah, I gotta work tomorrow. And then you gotta we have to work, to work tomorrow. On Sunday night. Uh Yeah. Yes, so I have to be very bright and perky and face the public tomorrow. Yeah, me too.
0: But so, thanks for
1: listening. Thank you. Bye.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: What? What do you think? I I think that um. Uh tell me what you
0: really think. <laughs> I am. You somebody never at work. Do. I hate somebody at work. Say that. I, you know I do too. Cuz so I feel stupid. Cause it's I like cuz I feel of like, course like I am. I feel like the message is what you're saying is beyond the bounds of what should be said in a normal conversation yeah. or like you're overreacting and or... and people are uncomfortable with it. Yep. And what I always say to I mean, people you don't want to hear what I really <laughs> think. It would blow your fucking you mind. You can not handle it. Right. <laughs>